0: Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box.
1: Hey, Tenderfoot listeners, Dennis Cooper here. If you're a fan of Culpable, then you know we normally focus on one case for an entire season, like the season one case of Christian Andriacchio and the season two case of Britney Stikes. As I continue working on season three, I'll be using this platform to help more families in their fight for justice. Last fall, I brought you six cases over six weeks. Now, I'm bringing you five more. From Tenderfoot TV, another installment of Culpable Case Review comes May 17th. Check out this clip. So
2: she jumped over her friend, into the driver's seat, hit the gas. Her foot did not let off the gas. She hit a mailbox. I think she rolled into a tree, and she was already dead.
3: From Tenderfoot TV,
1: Culpable Case Review is coming May 17th. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus for early access and ad-free listening. Learn more at tenderfootplus.com. In today's episode of Case Evidence, I'll be answering questions from our listeners on our voicemail line. If you have questions about the case or the podcast in general, you can leave your question on the voicemail line we have. The number is 770-545-6411. Here's the first question from one of our listeners.
4: Hi, I lived in Florida about the time that uh, she went missing and I was wondering a a really big hurricane hit. It was during the Katrina Rita, Wilma hurricanes that hit. And I was wondering if y'all had considered the traffic that was maybe going through Georgia, because we lost power, gas, and food for months. I was wondering if y'all had considered any traffic that had possibly been coming through uh, during that time.
1: That's a good point, and I've thought about it before. In August 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit, and there was a huge influx of people coming to Georgia for safety. Terror disappeared in October, just two months later. So in theory. People from other states could have been passing through Osceola at that time. I've looked into it, but I just don't buy the whole complete stranger thing. I believe that whatever happened to Tara, somebody she knew was responsible for it.
5: So, I guess my question to you, does law enforcement enter a sample to the CODIS system? Is there a DNA on file like that? Like, was that glove checked against the police, or was it just completely ignored?
1: The DNA gathered from the latex glove found in Tara's yard was entered into CODIS. CODIS stands for Combined DNA Index System, and it's the national database for unsolved cases. But, as we know, there's never been a match. The CODIS system only pulls DNA from criminals, not from others in law enforcement. The GBI has also claimed to have swabbed over 200 people in this case, but still no match. It's my assumption that they swabbed everybody, including police officers. But because of the closed records law in Georgia, we don't have access to the actual
5: list. Hey there, Payne. My name is Rick Harb. I'm down here in Tampa, Florida. i really enjoying the podcast. Um, just listened to the episode of Case Evidence where you guys gave out the voicemail number. Um, after listening, my current theory is Tara may have been, as uh one of the people you interviewed said, maybe free with men and uh, maybe was getting involved with more than one over at the police station, if not just uh, the detective who went to check on her and you know, my guess is that maybe when he told her he wasn't going to leave his wife, she kind of freaked out and threatened to expose their relationship. And maybe there was more than one officer who uh, the same thing was going on with. Maybe one or more than one got together and, uh, you know, took care of the problem and, and then uh, all got behind each other and to uh, cover it up. This is always a touchy subject.
1: Personally, I believe that Tara disappeared as a direct result from one of the men in her life. The complicated thing about that is, there was a lot of men in Tara's life. My intent has always been to find out what these relationships were, not to cast any judgment. Ignoring the men in Tara's life would just be completely irresponsible. That being said, I think it's possible that somewhere in these relationships, there was jealousy or fear. In a murder case, these are often motives. For the duration of this podcast, I will continue to explore these relationships, either until they make sense or until we get an answer
3: normal for her to leave her car unlocked but her door is locked wouldn't you assume that the crime took place somewhere else and somebody drove her car back to her house and when they got out of the car they took the glove off and dropped
1: it remember tara's keys and purse were missing the front door to her house was locked and her car was found unlocked in the driveway but here's a fact in this case that i haven't touched on yet the driver's seat in her car was found pushed back Pushed back too far for Tara, almost as if a taller person had driven her car. I've thought about this multiple times, and there might be something to it. We don't know where the crime occurred. But if it occurred somewhere else, it's plausible that somebody returned Tara's car, wearing the gloves, entered her house to return her cell phone, locked the door to her house on the way out, and then accidentally dropped the glove.
4: Hi, this is Brooke listening in Seattle. My question is if you know what color the burned truck was that was outside the burned house, if that was a black truck.
1: Ironically, the burned Ford Expedition that belonged to Michael Langford, found at the fire on Snapdragon Road, was black. As far as the black truck seen passing Tara's house that night, besides the color, it doesn't really match the description. So to be clear, these are most likely two different trucks.
4: Hi, Payne. Um, I just have been listening very recently, so I'm all caught up. But one thing that I've been curious about the whole time from uh, episode one, you had mentioned that her neighbor, Tara's neighbor, had assistant with her set up that when she got home she'd turn on a light so her, her neighbor would know that she got home okay and that just seemed sort of odd to me it seems like you would only do that if you were maybe worried that something could happen especially in a small town
1: i thought the whole turning on the lamp system was kind of odd too the neighbors claim that every night tara got home she would turn her lamp on to let them know she got home safe the strange thing to me is according to the neighbor that night tara's lamp didn't come on and that same night disappeared this whole system they had just completely failed if the lamp system was so serious then why didn't they say something when her lamp didn't come on
3: do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case how about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere in June's journey each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
4: Why didn't um, Tara's mom just drive down to check on her daughter? It sounds like from the evidence that you gave that they're pretty close and they were planning to hang out. And I know if I was a concerned mother for my daughter, I would drive down there and and see if she was okay. And if they were supposed to hang out, it seems like in the daytime it would be reasonable to go down and and check in the daytime, and I'm wondering why she waited so long to go and see where her daughter was, and why did she have Officer Dykes go down there when she could have gone herself? I wonder what their relationship was like and how close they actually were for her to ask him to go check on her daughter.
1: I'm not really sure why Tara's mom chose Heath Dykes to go check on her, but from everything I've gathered, her family knew him very well, and for a pretty long time, so I guess she just trusted him. Tara was supposed to meet with her mom during the day, but she never showed. I'm sure at the time she didn't think too much of it, but as time passed and she didn't answer her phone, she became a little concerned. By this time, it was late in the evening, around 11 o'clock, and that's when Tara's mom called Heath. Thinking more about it, maybe as her mother, and because Tara was also an adult, she didn't want to randomly show up at her house at midnight, so instead she asked a family friend to do it. Looking at it that way, it makes a little more sense.
4: Do you think you might be attaching too much suspicion to the fact that the detective dude didn't notice the glove? think about how many things you move past on a daily basis that if your focus isn't on them, you don't ever even notice. I mean, our brains fill in the gaps with what they expect to be there all the time. And so if you don't expect to see something, you might not see it. Couldn't that be the case with that guy that showed up to check on Tara? The glove could very well have been there and because that wasn't what he was Expecting to find, looking at, looking for, he didn't see it. And I think, yes, he's a you know he's a detective dude, but that doesn't mean he's on at all points in time with superhuman Sherlock Holmes, you know, noticing every detail.
1: That's a good point. It's one of those things you can look at two different ways. Maybe he didn't see the glove there. That's totally possible. It was dark. It was late, and he probably wasn't expecting to see it. But that angle is a lot more believable coming from someone with no law enforcement background or somebody who was just stopping by for a visit. But in this case, we're talking about an actual police officer, and he drove an hour and 15 minutes to her house in the middle of the night, entirely because her mother was worried about her. Her car was in the driveway, but she didn't come to the door. That alone would be a red flag to me.
4: Hey, Payne, this is Jessica, also in Atlanta. I just wanted to put out there a thought that I have about Heath Dykes. I know that um, the investigator said that he thought that the calls coming in from Heath to Tara if they were before he'd heard from the mom, that that would be suspicious. Actually, I think the opposite. If he'd been calling her during the day that day on Sunday, it's more likely that he didn't know where she was
5: or hadn't had anything to do with her disappearance
4: if he was calling her all that weekend trying to find her.
1: It's a good point. If you were guilty, why would you call her so many times knowing she's not going to answer? But why the phone calls at all? If you were just a family friend, this behavior seems kind of odd and obsessive. To call somebody more than 20 times, it makes it look like your relationship with her is more than just a friend.
2: Hi, Payne. My name is Janae Marquis. I am a Ph.D. student at Georgia State University, and my boyfriend uh, turned me on to your podcast, and uh, we love listening to it and keeping up with the updates. As I was listening to some of the episodes, the one about the email in particular uh, from Tara to Marcus's mother kind of struck a chord with me in terms of the verbiage that she used. Um, and I was talking about this with my boyfriend the other night. The language doesn't seem like someone who is maybe trying to get a boyfriend back in her life or whatever the circumstances were there. The way she made certain phrases, particularly the, the quote, I think, was, if this was just about me, I wouldn't want Marcus. Um, and then going on to speak about the family's feelings and whatnot. To me, it sounds like a woman who is uh, carrying a child and is thinking about the life of her unborn child and perhaps that child's relationship to the father and the father's parents inside of the family. So I was just curious to know if that was a theory that maybe came about.
1: In the emails Tara was sending, it was very apparent that she was still upset about the breakup with Marcus. As of now, I don't have any evidence that Tara was pregnant, but if she was, these emails, like you said, could have a whole new meaning. Tara sent more than one email to Marcus Harper's mom. This was just one of them. In next week's episode, I'll be reading you guys the rest of them. Thanks guys for listening to Case Evidence. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to support, you can go to upandvantage.com slash donate and send a donation of any size. It all goes straight into the production of this podcast. Thanks guys, and I'll see you next week.